Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. It's very good to be with you. As you can tell from my accent, let's do a little bit of a further introduction. I'm from Essex. Uh, born in, in Romford. Well, officially it was Dagenham, but Romford sounds a little bit better than Dagenham. Uh, we prefer to call it Darsingham, where we come from. It's a little bit nicer. Uh, didn't grow up in a church, just to get that clear. Uh, I came to Christ at the age of 18. I'm going to tell you that story a little bit later. My dad was a cop, which we'll come on to in a bit. He was an undercover cop, actually. And uh, back in the day when I used to hit people, and even they didn't deserve it. He was a proper 1970s cop. And uh, do you remember Life on Mars, that programme? My dad, when that programme first came out, my dad sent me a photo of him with a big wide collar, a Special Forces moustache, gold medallions, big sideburns, big, big like there, cigar in his mouth, and put a caption underneath, don't know where they got their ideas from, son. <laughs> it was a proper 1970s undercover cop in a flying squad, regional crime squad, stuff like that, which will come on to. Mum was at home, uh, she used to be a dressmaker, but all our family all came out of the East End, I've got one sister, and then uh, I say uh, my life ambition until the age of 18 was a burning ambition was to join the armed forces, uh, so I'd applied to join the Royal Tank Regiment and got selected for that. Actually, I applied to join the 17th, 21st Lancers, purely because the motto was death or glory. And back in the day, when you were a little kid in Walford, you go, death or glory, that sounds like a good one. I'll do that. <laughs> Stupid. So, but they said, uh, they said, oh, boys from your background, don't join the cavalry. They join the tanks, old boy. So um, I was going to be fodder for the Russians. Uh, that was the idea. But I met Christ at the age of 18, and that changed everything. So turn my life on its head, which will come on to uh, tonight if you, if you turn up for that and tell you the story of how that all happened. But let me tell the, the transformative name in all the universe is Jesus Christ. And when you encounter him, it scratches the itch that no one else can scratch. It's utterly phenomenal, and it, it changed the course of my life. Until that point, my ambitions were join the army, earn a million quid, take up golf and die. That was the trajectory of my life. And then Christ thankfully intercepted my life plan. And that's why I'm here today. I'm married to Karen. We've been married coming up 25 years. We've been together 28 years. Uh, I've got a German shepherd dog that's nearly dead. A cat. <laughs> Ten koi carp that we inherited. And, uh, and um, well, we, did have, we did have 30 koi carp, but then we got a heron. We got a pet heron. So now we've got 10 and a net. Uh, so that's, uh, that's happening. And I've got two daughters. One's nearly 20, and she uh, she's, uh, works as a barista in Chesterfield Market Hall for the council while setting herself up as an artist. She's a phenomenal, very gifted artist, actually, but you have to build your way up to earn your, earn your living, your shillings as an artist. So she's doing that. And I've got one daughter who's just starting off at Royal Veterinary College to be a vet. So I've got one super academic daughter, one who lives in Narnia. It's a very confusing... <laughs> Very confusing life. You bring them up both the same, and you think, how did that even happen? So um, that's us, um, and I lead this church in Ches Vegas, which has been just an absolutely beautiful journey of, of God, really. It's, his grace is upon us. It's phenomenally exciting. In fact, just being here today and walking around with Steve earlier and soaking up what's happening, there's so many parallels probably to where you were, you know, maybe five, six years ago. So I'm really enjoying being here today and loving the vibe. It's so good to be with you. So I'll give you a bit of time to that. And as you heard, I do some men's ministry stuff. I founded a thing called The Gathering, which is like a cross between Top Gear and Songs of Praise, to be honest, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. It's the only way I can explain it. Uh, but it's evangelistic, and every year about 30% of the 2,500 guys who go are not Christians, and a whole bunch of them get saved every year. 
Uh, we basically use sports cars and beer as a lure for the gospel, and then we <laughs> preach Christ. It's very shallow. 90% of what we do is shallow, and 10% has gospel depth. But hey, if it works, let's just do that thing. So we do that, and uh, various other bits and pieces, mostly going around the country speaking and all that kind of stuff, and trying to tell people about Jesus Christ. But my upbringing, as I said, was not around that, and we didn't grow up in a Christian home. My first encounter with a church was a Methodist church, actually, because I was in the junior school uh, barn dance team. <laughs> it's actually a thing. Mrs. Hertrick selected me to do a barn dance uh, squad uh, when I was a young man. That was the only time I'd ever been to church up until that point, and, and not until I was 18, actually. That was it. I, I was very adept at the old dozy-doe. Let me just tell you, I had a little bit of a gift for that. So I made the squad. But I had no Christian heritage at all. And in fact, my, my, my dad was, not only say anti, but he was not the kind of guy, being an undercover cop, uh, that would encourage the things of God. So that was not a feature. But this massive interception happened in my life at the age of 18 because of the witness of one of my mates, which I will tell you about tonight. It's amazing the impact that someone can have in your life just by one small word, one small courageous word can turn the course of someone's life when God so anoints it, as we will come on to. But my dad was a cop, and uh, after his undercover work, he then became a murder squad investigator and actually led the murder squad in the Met Police and was the guy who headed up um, uh, like serious murders. All murders are serious, right? But proper serious murders, like serial killers and stuff like that. And he was the first detective in, in UK police history to use DNA forensic evidence Against, uh, against the murderer. And there was a guy called the Stockwell Strangler who was a serial killer. And he was entrapped, I believe, by the dust in his turn-ups, matching the dust at the scene. And it was the first time that sort of level of forensic evidence had been used. He arrested someone else once. He was interviewing them. Proper old school stuff, this. He was interviewing someone, and he looked in their glasses, and he saw a little speck of something in the glasses frame. And literally took their glasses off and impounded them. And they checked the speck was a speck of blood that matched the speck of blood of the victim. And this is someone three people removed from the murder victim. You know, it's phenomenal stuff. And it came out of a guy called Edmund Lockhart, who was the pioneer, the father of forensic science. You're going to love this little bit of a science lecture now coming your way, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. He was the, the, the guy who invented it all. In fact, um, Sherlock Holmes stuff was based on some of his discoveries back in the day, and he had a theory, which was this. Every single contact leaves a trace. Everywhere you go, everything you touch leaves a little bit of a trace of contact. If anyone now is feeling very worried, there is a prayer ministry team available to take your <laughs> confessions later, because you will get got today. You know, you don't get away with much anymore because of the advances in forensic Science, but I've got a theory, and it's a well-thought-out theory. See, I think for followers of Jesus Christ, we don't just leave a physical trace. I think we leave spiritual traces. And it says in Corinthians 5.20 that we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, wherever you go, whatever you do, you radiate the presence of Christ. And that is what you carry. Now, I often say to Christians, uh, forgive us for not letting you know this as leaders of churches, and as evangelists and speakers, that when you gave your life to Christ, some phenomenal things happened. Amongst all the stuff around salvation and being filled with God's Spirit and knowing new life and hope and possibility and the shalom and peace and joy, all of those things that come we've encountered in Jesus Christ, something else happened. 
You've got a target on your back. Because you are now a walking declaration of war against the forces of darkness. Well, that's what we were purposed to be. Everywhere you set your foot, you can roll darkness back as a follower of Christ. Think about that. Next time you're getting chipped up in a car park when someone nicks your space. (laughs) Everywhere you go, you leave a trace. A sense of the presence of the living Lord Jesus Christ. That is a phenomenal responsibility. So I'm fascinated by Acts 19 where there's this amazing encounter. I've got time to read it to you this morning, but check it out for yourselves later in Acts. There's this thing called the Sons of Sceva. This encounter happens. These chief priests were boshing around the place, casting demons out of people. It's an amazing story. But what they were saying was this. They were going up to people saying, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, come out. Who Paul preaches? Paul the Apostle. Because they had heard that the name of Jesus has phenomenal power. So they were kind of mucking around with it. The name of Jesus who Paul preaches come out. And these demons were coming out of people until one particular moment when they go up to a very powerfully demonised person. And the sons of Sceva go up to the powerfully demonised person and say, in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches, come out. You know what happens? The demon says back, I'm going to do this in the uh, Essex message version. The demon says back, hold on me, old China. (laughs) He says, I know who Paul is, and I know who Jesus is, but I don't know who you are. He gives him a kicking. And the chief priest run out of the house, he says, naked and bleeding, and totally overpowered by the demon. That's a phenomenal story, because you know what it tells me? It tells me that the name of Jesus has cosmic power. When you speak his name, even if you have no authority with his name, it disturbs the forces of darkness. A disturbance happens in spiritual places. But it also says that Paul the Apostle was known in hell. He was known in heaven and hell. The demons knew his name. He had a reputation with the forces of darkness. By extrapolation, to me that says, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ here today and you are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, you are known in heaven and hell. You are known. The question is, what for? That's the big question. But wherever you set your foot, you have authority for Jesus. You are an ambassador. You don't hide your light. You shine for him. It is the most phenomenal thing. Every contact leaves a trace of the living Lord Jesus. That is what we're about. Now, I, uh, I do have the privilege of travelling around a little bit. I'm, I've got, I kind of talk about three different things that I do in my time, three or four different things. And one of my things is I'm president of Christian Vision for Men. So... Uh, I get to travel all over the place, all over the world, actually, speaking to men about Christ because the church is typically about 70% female. And, and so we need to try and do something to try and reach those guys and help the church engage with the guys more. Uh, so we do a bit of that, and I travel the world doing that. And um, a couple of years back, my wife at the time as my PA, she used to be a PA for the civil service, and uh, she was helping me out doing my diary because I am Captain Chaos. Like, big time. Very limited set of skills. And, and the diary administration is not one of them. Uh, it's a miracle I'm here, actually, because I'm doing my own diary at the moment. It's a, just thank the Lord. Um, and my wife, my beautiful wife, had booked me to be in the Netherlands for a week 
and I travelled all over the Netherlands, up and down the length of the country, speaking to churches and all that kind of stuff. Now I got back to Schiphol Airport at the end of like six, seven days of being away, and I flicked open my diary, and I saw a diary entry what had just appeared, which was to speak in a place called Barrow on Saw that night when I come back after being away for a week. Has anyone heard of Barrow on Saw? Five people, how does that happen? How do you know this place? Oh. I mean, Barrow on Saw's got six ferrets, a pub, and a curry house, and a canal. It's a remarkable thing that you know it. Anyway, it's a beautiful little place in the, in the Midlands. So uh, I got home, and uh, to be honest, I was a little bit chipped up. Now, I know you think he's, he looks like a man of joy with his skinhead and stocky build, <laughs> but I'm actually a happy man, and uh, I don't really get angry about much. You know, I'm kind of a peace, peaceful sort of character, believe it or not, and, uh, uh, but I was a bit chipped up. And I, I flew home grumpy, and I drove home from East Midlands Airport grumpy, and I walked in my house grumpy, the dog saw I was grumpy, didn't get unconditional love, everything was going wrong. <laughs> And uh, I said to Karen, I said, what are you doing? I said, honestly, I don't, why have I got... Barrel on saw. Curry night. Barrel on saw. Like, what? And in the donuts, he said, 20 men, curry night. Curry night. Curry is the new quiche in the kingdom. It's like, don't... Like, everywhere you go, it's a curry. Bring back quiche. Bring back the volivant. That's what I say. <laughs> Fed up with it. And she, she said to me, she said, she said, well, I felt the Lord say you should go. That is such a power card. Do you know what I mean? It's so like, oh. So anyway, I had a quick shower, dumped my bags, got in my car, drove to Barrow on Saw, an hour and a half away. Turn up early, fastidiously early for everything, I am. Turn up early, and the organiser's there. I'm normally there before the organiser. So I was there. He was there. And I walked in, I said, hello, mate, I'm Carl Beach. And he went, yeah, I recognise you from the photo. I went, thanks very much. <laughs> and um, I said, how many people you got going? And he went, I don't know, 15 or 20. Went, all right. What do you want me to do? He said, preach the gospel. So how many come in aren't Christians? He said, no, I think they're all saved. <laughs> so I said, uh, any non-Christians? He said, well, maybe one or two. He said, give it a go. I said, how, how long can I speak for? He said, oh, about 10, 15 minutes. I'm like, oh. I'm like, honestly, I'm fighting a mood at this point. I said to him, what's on the menu then? I think this will lift it. He said, chicken booner and an arm bread. I said, what if you don't like chicken booner? He said, I'll do you an arm bread. <laughs> Proper got a grump on. The people start coming in, about 18 guys, tiny little curry house. And this bloke walks in with a mate of mine, a mate of mine called Paul Gask, who I call Gasky. Gasky was an ex-counter-terrorist officer in Leicestershire Constabulary, was now working for the Home Office in terrorism prevention work and all that kind of stuff. Walks in with a bloke who looks uncannily like Herman Munster. <laughs> I'll have his photo to prove it in just a bit. He sits opposite me, does Herman. And I say, hello, mate, my name's Beachy. Who are you? He just sort of goes, Ugh. I went, great. Okay. <laughs> well, he goes, this is Chris. I went, oh, great. Gas works. Brilliant. Have a chicken boon, have a naan bread. I stand up. And the bloke says to me, he actually said to me, he went, just 10 minutes. I went, oh, just 10 minutes. So I stand up and I do, you know, sometimes when you're preaching, if you're a preacher, you know this. Sometimes you're preaching, you're like, smashing this. This is not amazing. I'm anointed. Like, how can, why, everyone's going to get saved if they're already saved. Like, it's amazing. 
Didn't feel that. <laughs> Not good. The Lord had left, his presence had like fluttered away from me. Grieving the spirit, annoyed at everything. Definitely didn't feel the Lord. But I explained about the gospel, and Jesus died, rose again, very simplistic, said it changed my life, sat down. Said to the guy, Herman, what do you think of that then? He went, <laughs> so, so I went to the bar, a tiny little bar. It's literally like the distance between me and Steve. Like, little bar here, and I'm sitting there. So I walk over to the bar, and Herman follows me. And he's a big lad. He's a very big unit. Now, I'm five foot eight and a half. <laughs> a half is very important. But still, statistically, means I'm looking up at most men. So I'm looking up at Herman, who is like six, five, six, six. He's looking down on me, and he says to me, so you're Jesus. You're Jesus. Can he forgive anybody? I went, yeah, of course he can. He said, how does he do that then? I went, weren't you listening? Pop <laughs> <laughs> the grumpy. Totally in aggressive evangelist mode. And, uh, and he said, I said, do you want me to explain again? I went, yeah, yeah. So I did again. Then he went, so he can forgive anybody, can he? I went, yeah. He said, can he forgive a Nazi who gassed Jews to death in a concentration camp in front of everybody? Everyone's these tiny curry house. So yeah, of course he can. He said, how does he do that then? I said, as I just explained. <laughs> and I explained the cross again. And this guy, this big lad, Turns on his heel, tears in his eyes, storms out the curry house. Gasky, ex-counter-terrorism officer Gasky, comes bouncing over to me. He's, all, he's a very bouncy guy. Looks like a pit bull, but a very bouncy one. He's like bouncing around, he goes, significant, significant, very significant, totally significant, significant, very significant, significant. <laughs> What's significant? He said, that, what? That conversation's significant. I said, why is that? He said, he is a Nazi terrorist leading a terror cell across Europe. He was arrested at gunpoint, planting a pipe bomb. I said, you could have told me that before I got back in his face. <laughs> could you? I said, what's he doing in Barrow on Saw? <laughs> he's always in a safe house. That's where they were before I leaked it. <laughs> he's in a safe house. He's had nothing to do. So I said, come and have a curry. Chicken booner and an arm bread. Apparently he said, I love a chicken booner. So he came out to hear me talk. But his story doesn't finish there. Turns out the next day, it's six o'clock in the morning, he's prowling the streets of Barrow on Saw. And he finds the Baptist church. The Baptist church is open. And he walks in and he finds the pastor, the minister of the church, in his study. And he just creeps up behind him and says to him, I heard about Jesus last night, is it true? <laughs> Bit shocking for a local Barrow on Saw pastor, that. Turn around and say, Herman Munster asking about Jesus Christ. And this, this minister, is thankfully a proper one, says, yeah, it is true. And he gives him the gospel. And this guy drops on his knees, commits his life to Christ. So phenomenally transformed is he, so phenomenally transformed, that 18 months later he preached the gospel to 1,500 Jewish school kids about peace and reconciliation on Holocaust Memorial Day. So utterly transformed. The first few people led to Christ were a black guy who used to send death threats to black people, to bullet through the post, all that kind of stuff. 
He led a gay guide to Christ. He was arrested fighting a pipe bomb at a gay rally. Uh, he led a Jewish guide to Christ. The last person he led to Christ of the first four or five was his son. It was a story of just majestic, beautiful transformation. I want to show you his photo. If we could just boss that up. Now, there's me in the middle, uh, beardless, with more hair. On the left is Herman. That's Chris. Uh, beautiful man of God now, amazing. And on the right there is uh, a man called Graham Swan. Have you heard of Graham Swan, the cricketer? Yeah. Right, well, Graham Swan's also a swanee. He's also uh, an evangelist. And he put out a leaflet. It's all over Loughborough saying, come and hear the testimony of Graham Swan. And everyone thought it was Graham Swan, the world-famous cricketer. <laughs> but he wasn't. He was Swanee, the tattoo artist from Loughborough. <laughs> he said it was 500% oversubscribed. <laughs> but they all heard the gospel, he said. Which is absolutely brilliant. Now, you're going to be thinking, that must have been an amazing gospel preach. That 10 minutes, you're underselling it, Carl. That 10-minute thing you did. What a phenomenal talk. No, it weren't. I'm telling you. There are times when I know a powerful anointing of the Lord. And there are times when I know I'm out of step. And I know I was out of step. And it weren't a good talk. See, the reason he came through wasn't me. The reason he came through was my mate Gasky. See, Gasky never wrote him off. He never wrote Chris off. Gasky loved him and 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 prayed for him and prayed for him and prayed for him and prayed for him. Went the extra mile, saw him out of hours, did all, did just sat with him and had meals. Other police officers were writing him off. Who loves a Nazi terrorist sending death threats to black and gay? And who, who loves a Nazi terrorist doing that? They're, they're the current scumbags, aren't they? No one loves a terrorist. No one loves a Nazi. But Gasky did. He loved him and he loved him and he loved him and he loved him and he loved him. And when you ask Chris what brought him through... He said, Gasky never gave up on me. And I knew there was something about him. He couldn't share his faith explicitly because of the workers involved in him. But as soon as he retired from the police, he had an opportunity, he did. Wow. And he came through, but it didn't end there. See, Chris was so impacted by the love of Gasky and then the love of Christ that he starts witnessing around the place and put up the next photo. This guy here is a leader of a rival Nazi terror cell. Wow. They tried to kill each other. This is this guy getting baptised wow. two years ago because of Chris's witness and life transformation. Show you the next photo. This is them standing together as brothers in Christ. Oh, come on. Once enemies hunting each other down, now brothers in Christ. Every contact leaves a trace. Yeah. This is Gasky, who you've never heard of. An ordinary bloke doing a job, now retired, member of the National Caravan Club, every weekend another field around Barrow on Saw. <laughs> he's an ordinary guy, living an ordinary life, serving a phenomenal God, and yeah. he's not afraid to love the unlovable. Yeah, Every contact leaves a trace. Wherever you go, the school gate, the car park, the office, the neighbour. Before I read you this very powerful scripture, it just pops into my mind, I'll tell you something. I once had a neighbour, and I lived in Somerset. 
I had a neighbour, do you like that accent? It's quite good, isn't it? Authentic. I lived there for years, I can do it. I, uh, we lived there, my neighbour was a proper grumpy old bloke. How many people here row their, you know, feel tempted to row with their neighbours over the fence posts? You know, that kind of, the parking. So my neighbour took exception to a, a, a climbing frame for roses I put in. Now you might be a bit surprised that I talk about things like that, but I do paint with watercolours, play classical piano and like my garden. That's surprising, isn't it? That just shocked you all. Now you're in like a vortex of confusion. But I do, I do have another side to my personality. And uh, I was putting a lovely little frame in for me, me clematis and me roses. And uh, while I was away on the road, um, Karen phoned me in near tears saying the neighbouring around shouting at her because I was building a shed in the back garden that was overlooking his fence. So I said, oh, it's a climbing frame for roses. It doesn't even go over his fence. Like, how weird. It was just Mr Angry from Angry Planet in Angry Town, you know. <laughs> anyway, he, he was very threatening to Karen. Like, bad. This old boy. All the way home, I was plotting his death. <laughs> I was so angry. I'm telling you. The way my house was constructed, I had to, you parked around the back, my driveway was around the back of the house. When I pulled up, I had, it, I had his disappearance in the planet all worked out. And the security of my national ministry. It was all, I thought, I can do, I'll get away with this murder, I'll be fine. I'd all mapped out. I was so cross. Hurt my wife. Hurt my wife. Threaten my wife. I'm from Dagenham. <laughs> no, it's, just, it's not what we do. Anyway, as I, was walking, I said to Karen, I'm, I'm going straight for the house, I'm going to go and have a word with him. As I'm walking through the house, Holy Spirit speaks to me. He says, that's loving of you, isn't it? What you're about to say and do. I thought, oh. Not really. I felt the Lord say, take your mountain cakes. <laughs> oh. Oh, Honestly, so I said to Karen, have we got any cake? She said, I've got some of them lovely pink fondant fancies you like. <laughs> I love a pink fondant fancy, mate. Best cake in the world. So I said, they're mine. And uh, she said, yeah. I said, are the girls had any? She said, no, it's a new packet. I said, oh. So why? I said, I think I've got to give them to my neighbour. She said, they're your favourites. I went, oh, no. It hurt more than the threats on my wife. <laughs> I literally took him around, knocked on the door and said, hello, I bought you some cakes. Are you all right? And he went, no. No, it's been a terrible five years, Carl. Just broke down in tears on my doorstep. On his doorstep, I just, weeping he was. I said, can I come in? Yeah, yeah, all right. So I've got lovely, lovely pink fondant fancies. Let's have a cup of tea. We'll have a chat. Changed everything. If your contact leaves a trace, let me read this to you. Let love be without hypocrisy. This is Romans 12, 9. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. This is the mandate for godly missional living. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference and honour to one another. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. That means not evening soirees, a fondue, 
Practicing hospitality means being inconvenienced. Having people in your home who are not like you. Spending time with smelly people. People you wouldn't normally like to associate with. That's, that's kingdom hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. That's a tough one when you've written that email to destroy someone in response to a terrible email. The Bible says, don't do that. The spirit of the living God in you. Bless those who persecute you and causing you trouble. It's hard, isn't it? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Don't be haughty in mind. Associate with the lowly. And be wise in your own estimation. I love that you prayed for the prison this morning. First thing we did when we planted our church, we had a few quid coming in, we set up a, a debt centre. Next thing we did was set up a homeless project. I mean, just looking after the most hurting, needy, poor, broken. It gets God's attention, I'm telling you. That's why your church is being blessed. Don't be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men as possible. So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Buy fondant fancies. It will, it's the secret weapon, I'm telling you. Keep a stocking. It disarms people. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you heap burning coals on his head. But don't do it because of that. <laughs> do it because it's right. And don't be overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. I had, a, I had a sports car a few years ago. It wasn't mine. I'm an evangelist. Evangelists don't, in the UK don't have sports cars. But I had one for a filming project, and I crashed it at five miles an hour. <laughs> quarter of a mile from my house. Uh, near Christmas, in the dark, and it was raining. And uh, I was looking at some new houses being built on the right-hand side, and I was just rolling along. And uh, the lady in front, the young lady, uh, just stalled her car, and I wasn't watching, and I just rolled into the back of it at five miles an hour, maybe even less than that. So I jumped out of the car, pulled over on the side, you know, and I knocked on the window. I said, I'm so sorry, Merry Christmas. <laughs> so I'm very sorry. She said, what would you do that for? I said, honestly, it's completely my fault. I wasn't looking. I rolled into the back of you. And uh, she said, well, let's have a look at the damage. So we went out, checked the cars. Now, her car was a 1989 Vauxhall Nova. <laughs> Half wrecked already. I mean, it's worth 250 quid at, at a push. It's got a massive rubber bumper. And it's dented and scratched and rusty. I mean, it's the, things are heap. My car uh, was very low slung and, and made mostly of uh, polystyrene. <laughs> and uh, as I'd rolled into it, uh, it had gone underneath her car. So she looked at me and she said, well, my car looks absolutely fine. <laughs> and I said, well, mine's turned into a pterodactyl. <laughs> and it literally all crumpled up and folded at the front. I thought, oh, no. Uh, so I said, look, I don't think there's damage to your car. I can wipe a bit of paint off there on the bumper where I've gone underneath. And it's just coming off. She went, honestly, the car's not worth a thing. I can't see any damage. Bumper's secure. It's fine. She said, it's your car. That's the problem with you, I know. So I drove home um, and said to Karen, I crashed the car again. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, so we'll sort it out. So uh, that's that. We're now a few days out from Christmas. I get a text message because we've swapped numbers with this, with this girl. And the text message goes like this. I've had my car professionally assessed. There's £700 worth of damage to fix it. 
But if you give me a cheque for £100 today, I'll forget all about it. Can I remind you, I am from Dagenham. <laughs> I know a scam. I know when I'm going to be ripped off. I can see it coming. And everything in me at that point, was like, I wanted to text back and say, you're having a laugh. 700 quid? Your car's worth 200 quid. Like it's, it's a wreck. 700 quid? That's what I want you to do. I've got a grip on myself. Never repay back evil for evil. You're an ambassador for Christ. I can't preach this stuff and not live it. I've been preaching this stuff for years. I've got to live it, haven't I? I've got to live it. Like even the other day, my car had a fault on it, and uh, I had to get a courtesy car on a lease car I got, and um, I only did 15 miles, 16 miles in the, in the courtesy car, and they'd said, you know, recompense us for the mileage. I remember walking in thinking, do I just try and get away with this 15, 20 miles, or do I tell them that's what I've done and add the cost to the bill? Now, it's such a silly little thing, but it's part of the contract. So I walked in and I said, I did like 18 miles on, in the car. And he looks at me and he went, that's the first. Well, it's important to me. And Joey then said, he said, to be honest, you're slightly over the mileage for the repair, but that's amazing. Let's do, I'll, do, I'll just take the cost off. Wow. Save me 80 quid. The Lord loves it, doesn't he? So anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm like there with this 700 quid, 100 quid scenario. So I said, I'll be right round to see you. And I wrote her a cheque for £150. Now, at the time, my chequebook said Reverend Carl Beach. I'm not anymore, but I was at the time an all-day minister. And uh, uh, that's just what was on the chequebook. I've had it all removed. It took ages to get it removed, actually. They said, prove you're not a reverend. I said, well, I only know it because I told you in the first place. They said, well, prove you're not. I said, well, how do I do that if you don't believe me? They won't believe that I'm not a reverend anymore. How can you not get de-reverended by your own choice? It's the weirdest thing. I only ever did it to get a better table at Pizza Express. <laughs> so anyway. So anyway, it had Reverend Cobb, my old checkbook had Reverend Cobb Beach in it. And I went round there and I said, look, I'll put a few extra quid on it because I want to bless you. I said, you know what? I said, but well, it's 150 quid because I want to bless you. He said, bless me? I went, yeah, I'm, I, I lead a couple of Christian charities and I run a church in the town. And uh, it's where I choose to live my life. I just want to bless you. It's nearly Christmas, and I am really sorry that I caused you a problem. So I put a few extra kid in there just, just to help you. I, I <laughs> so nearly said to her, and if you're still for a man of God, bad things could befall you for generations. <laughs> like, I appeal to you, don't do this. But anyway, I gave him round my neck in. I did think walking back to the pterodactyl, I thought, I bet she doesn't catch it. I bet she doesn't. She's going to be so overcome by Jesus. She's not going to catch it. By my reckoning, by the speed of check clear, she paid it in that day. <laughs> so it, did, it didn't work. But it did work. Because here's the thing. Here's what I thought. Here's the way I tried to live my life. Not because I'm an evangelist for a living. Because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm called to a different way. Yeah. This is all of us. This is all of us. I'm an ordinary bloke from Romford, right? There's nothing special going on here. It's, this is called following what the Bible says. Don't we pay back evil for evil? Bless those who persecute you. We'll stick an extra 50 quid on. That's what it means. That hurt me at Christmas. But it's worth it. Because here's the thing. What if she moves from Chesterfield to Bedford? 
And she's working down the road and she bumps into someone who's done the Alpha course. And they invite her to the Alpha course. One of two responses is now going to happen. If I was an idiot and I'd been a pig, she would have gone, well, I met a Christian once and he was horrible. Yeah, I tried to rip him off, but he was so horrible. Imagine if I got back in the face and said, how dare you? How dare you try and scam me? Who do you think you are? Imagine I'd done that. Instead, she's going to be thinking, I met that Christian once. I tried to rip him off and he, he gave me more. Like, that is, what? Like, what, what, what went on then? Do you know what I've done to that, that lovely young lady? Do you know what I've done to her? I've put a gospel stone in her shoe. She's now walking around like this. She's like walking around spiritually like, what was that? What was that thing that happened? And every now and again, she'll remember it. And every now and again, it'll come back to her, her, like, her remembrance of this encounter with this bloke who led a church, who's a Christian. That, that's fun. That's one of the best 150 quids I've ever spent. What a brilliant use of money. It's 150 quid. But it could be her eternal destiny. Or oh, a knock-on effect. Your actions can affect the eternal destiny of someone walking around in Bedford. For good or ill. How powerful is that? This is the school gate, the neighbour, the workplace, the mums you hang out with, the, the dads, the people in the pub. Your conduct as an ambassador for Christ, your choice to live with an opposite spirit can have an eternal multiplying knock-on effect like you wouldn't believe. Like you wouldn't believe. I just finished by saying this, that a few years back, I was ministering in India. And uh, in India, in tribal areas, really poor rural areas, they don't have doctors and super drug and all that. So if you're preaching and you make an appeal, everyone will come forward. Because it's all they've got. And they'll be asked for prayer for headaches, fevers, sore wrists. I mean, it's everything. Because it's all they've got. So I preached this message and did the appeal, and as usual, everyone's coming forward. So the crowd around the front, there are 200 people in a small little, very hot tin hut. And this woman, and hear this in the right way, this woman walked through the crowd, who I would say was mesmerizingly beautiful. Like she, she, she carried something. Like she had a piece that was actually like a presence about her. You know, some people just have this sort of presence where you can't take your eyes off. It wasn't sexual. It was like, this person's just beautiful. It's just mesmerizing. She came through the middle, and people moved out of her way. And she came and stood at the front, and, and they put the, yeah, sort of their clothing over their head, actually, about this amazing culture. It's covered her head, bent their head for prayer. So I said to Prem, my, my uh, interpreter guy and very close friend, I said, can you ask her what she wants prayer for? And he said, don't embarrass me, Carl. Just pray for her. And I went, what? Because that's what we did with everyone who came forward, to ask what they want prayer for. And he said, Carl, just look. I'm like, what? He said, well, just look and pray. So I put my hand on her shoulder, and she lifted her head up to look at me. And then as I looked again, what I hadn't noticed was her right arm was like a little twig, where she'd had polio or something. Like a little twig, a really horrific deformity. 
and half her face was covered in a skin disease. And she had like weeping sores on her face. She's not uncommon in those areas to see things like that. And I'm like, honestly, I'm standing there thinking, what? That, that was not what I just saw. And in that moment, I felt everything. You know, sometimes you're in a situation where you feel everything muted around you. I'm zoned in in this moment, and I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me in a way that has actually changed my life. And for many years, I couldn't say what I'm about to say without weeping. But as I sat there, stood there, sorry, looking at her, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, I just allowed you to see her son the way I see her all the time, which is beautiful to me. And it rocked my world. Like it changed the game for me. What if we could see everyone as one of God's beautiful kids, redeemed yet or not? What if we could see everyone as winnable and every situation as transformable and no one beyond hope or redemption, whether it's the Chris, the, the ordinary girl you crashed the back of? What if every situation was redeemable because we as the people of God saw everyone as winnable and everyone as one of God's beautiful children? What if God could so impact our hearts that we saw that? And that would be my prayer for you this morning that this vast army of people in this amazing church get out there into Bedford and see people the way that God sees them and sees your town as utterly winnable completely. Even the people who are most annoying, even that relative that you've fallen out with and there's been no reconciliation, that work colleague that you're spying with all the time, that person who bullied you, that friendship that seems to be reconcilably broke down. Let's stand together.